Acts chapter 6. Please find Acts chapter 6. And this should be a very familiar scripture to most of you because I've preached on this several times in the last four years. And this evening, we do come to a time in our church life and the fellowship of the church, which I consider to be a very important time and also one that's very near and dear to my heart. 28 years ago, I was ordained as a deacon in the Northside Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky. And you might say that I, I, uh, my long storied career as a uh, a church worker and different things that I've done in churches has included what I think is one of the blessed and most important positions that we have in our church. I'm not a person who takes the, the office of the deacon lightly. As I said, I think it's very important. I think it's scriptural, and anything that's scriptural has to be good for the church. But among many of our independent Baptist people... Uh, there's a difference of opinion about deacons. Some pastors really don't like to have deacons. Some of them consider that deacons are a threat to their authority. And so they either don't want to give up any of their authority or he really shouldn't have to give up authority, but give up some of the, of the work that they do. And, and uh, so they may decide that they don't want deacons to have their proper ministry in the church. But I don't feel that we, that we ought to have any fear of the office of a deacon not when you have a good church and hopefully you have a good pastor and then you choose scripturally qualified men, there shouldn't be any reason at all to fear deacons. It's only when people have not been taught properly, when a pastor decides he wants to be too authoritarian, and when the selections of the men for the office of the deacon are not biblically based, that's when you're going to have problems. But this evening, I'd, I'd like to speak to you about this blessed scriptural office that God has given us. And we're using our service tonight as an ordination ceremony uh, for this brother in Christ, Brother Eric Kuntz. Now, I'd like you to stand with me, please, as we read God's Word. And we have here in Acts chapter 6 what many people believe to be the selection of the first deacons in the church. Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse number 1. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles... And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this great time we have in the life of our church. We thank you, Lord, for men who are chosen out to serve you specially for the office of the deacon. Lord, as we say, have said, this is a scriptural office. We believe that you have us to honor this in our church and Lord, we just thank you for the men who've set aside their, their own selves in many, many instances to do your work. And we just thank you, Lord, for that. We pray that you might bless this service tonight, bless your people, bless especially Brother Eric Kuntz, whom we ordain into your service this evening. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. 
It is our intention tonight to ceremonially induct Brother Eric Kuntz into the diaconate of the church. Now, many of you may not understand uh, that word diaconate that I use in the title of the message tonight, but this is a word that just simply means the the complement or the whole number of the deacons considered together. That's called the diaconate of the church. Now, Brother Eric has already been selected by the church to be a deacon. And in my opinion, I think it's a scriptural opinion, that is actually the vote of the church is the scriptural ordination. But we do have ceremonies sometimes that we go through. And there's nothing wrong with us setting aside a special time as a ceremonial induction into this office. And so that's what we do tonight. We're just giving another form of church approval on Eric's ministry among us. So this evening, as I talk about deacons, I'm speaking to Brother Eric here. I'm speaking to you and all all the rest of the deacon board, and I want to remind everyone in the church this evening what the office of the deacon is all about. Now, as we begin this evening, I want to speak to you, first of all, about the institution of the office. Now, Acts chapter 6 gives us uh, the first mention of deacons in the Bible. And you may have noticed that as we read the scriptures that the word deacon is not really used in this text. But we believe that this is where the first deacons were chosen because these men meet the qualifications that we find in in other scriptures such as in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we'll go to that scripture in just a little while. But the diaconate, the diaconate of the church is not an arbitrary office. The need for deacons in a church was a very specific need. And it was one that arose out of uh, great needs for for different things to do in the church. So it was a very legitimate need. Now, as we've read in the scriptures, the numbers of disciples were growing in the first church. It was an exciting time in church history. Uh, These 120 disciples who made up the first church when Jesus uh, was crucified and when he left this world, 120 disciples on one single day grew to a group of over 3,000 disciples. That was on the day of Pentecost. Shortly after that, there were over 5,000 more that were added to that number. Now, the fact that people were being saved and and people just coming to know the Lord in in, in Jerusalem was a testimony to to the doctrine that the apostles taught. It said that this message is authentic. It said the Holy Ghost is upon us. The Holy Spirit is here. It said that this is a message that's being blessed by God. But a fast growing church brings with it problems. I think all of you understand, or at least you should, that the church is not this building. The church is people. And whenever you have people, you have problems. You put people together and folks have different opinions about things, differences of opinion. And that's exactly what happened in the Jerusalem church. So why did they choose deacons? Why were there deacons? Well, first, there was a need that arose among the people. There was a need for the people to have these deacons. Now, the scripture says in verse number one of our text that there arose a murmuring among the people. If you know very much about the Bible at all, you've read about murmuring in scripture and you understand how serious that murmuring can be. Moses was confronting with, confronted rather, with the murmuring of the people as he tried to lead Israel through the wilderness and into the promised land. And the murmuring of the people was something that needed to be stopped very quickly. Whenever people become discontented with with things that are going on, that discontent needs to be taken care of in a forthright manner as quickly as possible. 
And when people begin to murmur, that is something that can tear down the church, and so we have to take care of that. Well, the reason that there was murmuring in this first church was because some of the members felt that they were neglected. Some felt that they weren't being treated fairly. And this murmuring arose among the widows of the church. Now, back then in those days, they took care of widows, the old widows of the church. And um, in in this instance, some of the widows thought that they weren't being treated fairly and that some were not getting the daily distribution of the food as they should. Back in that first church, the, all of the people originally there were Jewish people, but some of them weren't born in the land. They were, they were foreign Jews. And so the ones that were foreign Jews thought that they weren't being treated fairly and that the other Jews, the ones that were born in the land, were treated in a better way. So there was partiality being shown. So these deacons were chosen to deal with that inequity that arose among the people. So the people had a need. Now, of course, we don't have that kind of problem today, but still we have great needs in our church. And the principle is laid down that the deacons are to minister to the needs of the people. The very simplest idea of a deacon, and the word actually means a minister, it means a servant. And that's what deacons are to be. They're to be servants of the people. And what we've tried to do in our church is to institute a deacon care system to help take care of the needs of the people. Each of our deacons has been assigned uh, part of the membership of the church. And if you didn't already know that, you should know that because your deacon should have told you if he's your deacon or not. And it's his responsibility to try to help you take care of any problems that that might arise. And I want to call on the deacons tonight to remind you that to renew your commitment to your people because there are needs out there that need to be met. Now, the last thing that a church ever needs, of course, is disgruntled members. Disgruntled members, as I said, uh, cause church problems. Uh, It it, uh, uh, causes the work of the ministry to suffer. So we don't need church problems. We don't need people fighting with one another. This first church didn't need that. They had all they could do to handle the devil. And that's the same thing that we have in a way we have in our church. We have all that we can do to try to fight against the devil. So the best thing to do, if anybody ever has a problem in the church, any problem with another member, problem with a pastor, problem with the deacons, air that thing out. Get it out in the open, let's get it over with, and let's get it settled, because we don't need problems. But it wasn't only the people who had a need. There was also a need for the pastor. Actually, the church at Jerusalem had 12 pastors, and that's because all of the apostles served as pastors of that first church. As we read the scriptures, we begin to understand that probably the Apostle John was the senior pastor, but all of them pastored the church, and they needed these deacons. There was a need for them. And we see the need in verse number 2 and also in verse number 4. It says, Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. In verse number 4 it says, But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so if I could put this to you very simply, there weren't enough hours in the day for these apostles to deal with all the specific little needs of all the people that was going on. They couldn't do that while at the same time devoting themselves to prayer and ministry of the word and feeding people spiritual food. And that's what the apostles regarded their ministry chiefly to be. 
It was their responsibility to give the people the Word of God and to help people grow in their Christian lives. And so they taught and they preached God's Word. And today, that's still the job of the pastor. Maybe some of you don't understand how long that it takes to put together uh, three messages each week. Every message is about 12 to 15 hours of work. And if you add all of that together, it's not hard to see. There's not a lot of time left over for other things. And so a pastor needs a deacon. The deacons help take care of of all these other duties that the pastor would otherwise have to do so that he can be a man of prayer and also that he can study God's Word and teach God's Word to the people. And so whenever deacons are not doing their job, then the quality of the pulpit begins to suffer. So there's a great need for the pastor to have deacons. But as I say that, When I say that the pastor needs deacons, I also want to remind you, and I need to remind myself as well of this, these men have jobs. Now, I'm a full-time paid employee of the church, but these men are not paid by the church. They have other jobs. They have other things that they have to take care of, and so their time in many ways is limited. But here are men who have decided that the most important job that a person could ever do is the work that he does for the Lord. Certainly, we have to feed our families. That's an absolutely necessary thing to do. But the most valuable work that's ever done in this life are the things that we do for God. And that's why these men have taken their time. They, they do jobs that other people in the church won't do or don't have time to do. But they've made time to do those things because they believe that God has called them to this work. So there's a need for the office. The people have needs, and so does the pastor. And I think that everybody, sometime or another, you need to thank the deacons for the work that they do in our church. They're invaluable to our ministry. Now, secondly, this evening, I want to speak to Eric, and I want to speak to you, and I want to speak to all the deacons to talk to you about the relations of the office. Because there are some very important relationships in this office that if these relationships are not taken care of properly, then the deacons will not be successful in what God has called them to do. And this first relationship, I think, is probably the most obvious, and that is that a deacon must have a relationship to the Savior. Now, let's just look here and see where these first deacons come from. In verse number 3, it says, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And so the apostle said, Look out ye out among you. And so that means that these deacons were members of the church. Well, how did they get that way? Well, we find this out in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost. It says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. In verse 41, it says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So first, we learn here that they are believers in Jesus Christ. That means that they have repented of their sins, they have been baptized, and the Scripture says that they were added to the church. And I need to remind you of that as well, that baptism is very important. Baptism is the door into the church. Baptism is important, and these men were saved, they were born-again believers, and they'd been baptized into the fellowship with the church. And so that tells us they had a relationship with the Savior. Now, that qualification that we're speaking here about salvation, that seems so obvious to us, and really it is. You have to have a relationship with the Savior. 
But I think that we also need to add to this that these were saved men who acted like it. Lots of people don't act very much like they're saved. And this is why the apostles said, Look ye out among you seven men of honest report and full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Well, how would they ever know that they're filled with the Holy Ghost and wisdom? Only one way. They acted like it. They showed that they were real believers. And let me remind our deacons, people are watching you. People are watching what your life is like. Deacons are up front and visible. And so deacons are to be an example. Wherever you are, you need to know that you need to act like a Christian. Act like you know the Lord. You're a representative of Jesus Christ. But not only that, you're a representative of Berean Baptist Church. And it's a responsibility of deacons to keep a good name, to be honest, and act always like you know the Lord. You have a relationship with the Savior. Then next, there is a relationship to the Spirit. Verse number 3 says again, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. The command of Scripture is that we are to be filled with the Spirit. And Paul says that in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And of course, a person who's filled with the Spirit can't be filled with something else at the same time. It's impossible to be filled all the way with two things at one time. So you can't be filled with the Spirit and be filled with yourself. The Holy Spirit and self don't mix. Pride can be a problem among deacons. Pride can be a problem when people are elected to positions of authority. Now, I thank the Lord that pride is not really an issue with our deacons because uh, it's very hard to be prideful when you're hot and sweaty from mowing lawns and you've been out there picking up paper and sometimes unstopping toilets. It's hard to get too proud. But sometimes people do when they look at the spiritual authority they've been given, a spiritual office, and thinking that this is only one of two offices that really God has ordained in the church. Sometimes it is possible for people to become prideful. But again, I want to remind people, we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. The job of the deacon is not primarily for the pastor, although we've talked about his needs. It's not primarily for the people. We've talked about their needs. The job of the deacon is primarily for the Lord. And it's his work that we look to first. Now, if the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us that what the Holy Spirit does is to magnify Jesus Christ, then certainly it's our job as men of God, as leaders in the church, to also magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I also want to add that you must be filled with the Holy Spirit and with wisdom. Verse number 3 says, wisdom. What is the wisdom that the Bible talks about? Well, it's not intelligence. I think Eric's a highly intelligent individual. I'm talking to him. I really think that he is. Some of the others have a little bit to prove. But wisdom, <laughs> wisdom no, I'm just kidding about it. Wisdom is not intelligence. That's what, not what the Bible's speaking about. Paul tells us what wisdom is. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, "...which things also we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual." So the wisdom the Bible speaks of is spiritual wisdom. And there's only one way that a person can get spiritual wisdom, and that's to be a man of the book. Be men of the Bible. Be men who study God's Word. Read God's Word. Learn from God's Word. Listen to the messages. Listen to what's being said. Apply what's been said in messages. Scrutinize every word that I speak. Ask questions about it. Let the Holy Spirit guide you into truth. 
And I believe that he will if you're men of the word. So you have a relationship with the Savior, one with the Spirit. Also, you have a relationship, men, to the shepherd. And perhaps I could phrase that a little bit better, to the under-shepherd. The Bible teaches us that the pastor is the under-shepherd. The word pastor actually means shepherd. So what's your relationship to the shepherd supposed to be? Well, we've already talked a little bit about that. We've said that the deacons were chosen, first of all, that they could free the pastor up so that he could tend to prayer and the study of God's word. And in that first church, the deacons were very valuable to the apostles. They did take this load off of them. They worked very closely with the apostles. And their ministry was one to enhance the ministry of their pastors. And that's something that I think everybody needs to understand. This is not a detracting ministry. And that's what many pastors, unfortunately, are afraid of. It's because they like to rule everybody. They like to be lord over everybody that they don't want to share the duty. But the office of the deacon is not an office of competition. It's an office of cooperation. We're all working together for the Lord. Now, let me just briefly explain to you by using scriptural example what the Bible has to say about, about deacons' job in the church and about this competition thing. First, we need to understand that deacons are not appointed to run the church. Some deacons don't understand it, and there are certain church members who don't really understand it. Don't ever get caught into the trap of thinking that the deacons are a board of approval for the ministry of the church. We have nothing in Scripture that tells us that a deacon is ever to insert himself into the job that the pastor's supposed to do. Now, when writing to the Ephesian elders, Paul called the pastors overseers. And the word overseers meant that there was their job to look over all of the functions of the church. The elders were the pastors of the church. And our deacons, I think, certainly do understand that the pastor and the deacons are to cooperate. I rely upon their wisdom and... Quite frankly, most of the decisions that are made in this church are not unilateral decisions. We discuss these things, uh, but the authority for what we do in the church is not in the hands of the diaconate. The authority is in the office of the pastor. Hebrews 13 says, Remember them which have the rule over you. Now, speaking of pastors who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Verse 17 to that same chapter says, Obey them that have the rule over you, that's pastors, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as that they must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. And so whether you like it or not, or whether you submit to it or not, the Scripture does tell us that there is much authority placed in the office of the pastor. The deacons have a subordinate role to the pastor. And although we use terminology in our church like the board of deacons, there's no Scripture anywhere that gives deacons the authority to run the church. The pastor is the ultimate ruling authority. So it's the pastor, not the deacons, who one day are going to stand before God and give an account of what has gone on in the church, how the church has been run. That's the pastor's job. But then having said that, I believe that any pastor who, because he has the authority, thinks that he must always exercise his authority is more of a fool than he is a good minister or a good leader. I consider deacons to be friends of mine. I consider them to be fellow workers, fellow laborers in the work. They watch for my needs. 
They make sure my needs are met, and as they do that, they make sure that the well-being of the ministry is being supplied. So we're both placed here to be cooperating servants in the work of the Lord. The church is bigger than me. The church is bigger than deacons, and we need to work together. We're not enemies. Pastors and deacons are not enemies. We're fellow servants of Christ. So finally, you have a relationship with the Savior, one with the Spirit, and one with the Shepherd. But we also ought not to forget you have a relationship to the saints. Remember, that's where the first need arose. The needs of the people needed to be met. Now, sometimes um, people don't let you know what their needs are. So how do you find out what their needs are? You keep your eyes and your ears open. Because people that are unhappy usually don't keep it to themselves. They're going to let somebody know. So we've got to watch out for the needs of the people and, and learn when there's trouble that's brewing and try to stop that before it ever gets to a head. Now, to those of you that are members of the church, let me just describe for you one function of your deacon, one thing that he does. Don't be surprised if you miss church that your deacon gives you a call. Now, once again, I, I call on the deacons to remember it's the responsibility, your responsibility to watch after the members and their church attendance. Now, whether you know it or not, we know if you're here. We keep attendance at church. We know who's here and who's not here. And all the deacons get a list of uh, attendance. They get an attendance record of the people that they're supposed to watch after. And they're supposed to look at that and see when people are not in church. So don't be surprised if your deacon, if you miss a couple of Sundays, that your deacon gives you a call. You will call, won't you? Yes, okay. All right, they're watching after you. Now, don't get angry about that. Don't get upset about it. They're just trying to help people before a problem comes. Sometimes there's not a problem at all, but it's best to know those things. So everybody understand, or you should understand, that it's a privilege to be a member of a church. And when you're a member of the church, there are certain responsibilities that you have. And I didn't say that. The Apostle Paul said it. And one of the things he said was, forsaking not the assembling of ourselves together. And so if you begin to forsake as a member, then we'll be sure to remind you of it. So I would encourage everybody that, that as your deacon prays for you, you also remember to pray for him. Deacons are human. They have all kinds of problems, just like you have problems. Any person who decides that he's going to go into some form of ministry will find that the devil will attack him on every side. He'll get attacked just like a pastor is attacked. Anybody who decides to be a leader is going to have problems. So you pray for your deacon to remain spiritually strong and committed to the ministry of the church. Now, finally, I've talked about the institution of the office. We've spoken about the relations in the office. And let's finish with this third area, which is the qualifications for the office. You see, the scriptures don't allow us just to choose out any person that we want to be a deacon. There are qualifications that go along with it. In Acts chapter 6, verse 3, we read it, men of honest report. And there's really a lot of consideration that goes into this, those, those words, men of honest report. And we find some more of the qualifications for a deacon in the book of 1 Timothy. I'd like you to turn there, if you would, please, to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to learn something about these qualifications. Now, there are actually three types of qualifications that have to be considered. First of all, we have to consider the deacon's personal character. And as I said, we have further instructions about this in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3. 
Paul is discussing the role of the pastor in the first part of this chapter. And then he comes down to verse number 8, and he begins to talk about the qualifications of a deacon. In 1 Timothy 3, verse number 8, it says, Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved. Then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own house as well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well, purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. I want to call your attention first to that word likewise. The word likewise begins this section in verse number 8. And this refers to what's been said already about the pastor. In other words, the Bible is telling us here that deacons have to have similar qualifications and characteristics as the pastor. When you look at a deacon, you need to remember that someday that deacon might be your pastor. I don't know where we got that idea. But what are the personal characteristics for a deacon? First of all, he should be serious about his duty. Here it says that he's to be grave. And grave means somber. It means committed. And really in the original language, it means almost exactly what was said in Acts 6-3 when it talks about being honest. Now that's, this is a very important work that we do. And so the apostles said, choose out among you these men that are of honest report. And, and they said that because they knew that these kind of men would be very serious about what they do. They would be committed to what they do. They would, could be counted on. Now, men, you've been elected to an office, and that means that the church has placed their confidence in you. The church has given you a, a great position here, and, and uh, you ought not to take that lightly. Confidence has in place, been placed in you, and so you need to fulfill your duties just like the Word of God says. Also, Paul talks about this, and he says that a deacon should speak truthfully. Paul says, not double-tongued. A deacon doesn't speak to one person one way and then tell a completely different tale to somebody else. And really, deacons aren't to be tale-bearers at all. They're not to be gossips. And this is very important because deacons have the responsibility of going from house to house. There are things that are told to a deacon in confidence, and you as members of our church, you certainly don't want your deacon telling other people things that you've been told in confidence. Sometimes that means that a deacon can't even tell his wife some things. Things that are told in confidence, your wife many times shouldn't even know about. Now, your wife is, of course, important to your ministry, but the church doesn't elect your wife. It elects you. So be very careful about what you say. Thirdly, he should stay sober. Now, that's almost a comical thing as we think about that. I mean, you have to tell deacons to, to stay sober, and there's a lot of jokes made about that. But there's a, a lot of people who take these words, not given to much wine that we read in verse number 8, and they say, well, that must mean that the deacon then can drink a little bit of wine. It's okay for him to have a little bit of wine just so he doesn't have too much wine. Well, that's really not the meaning of this at all. The likewise in verse number 8 points back to what he's already said about the pastor. And what he said about the pastor is the pastor is not to take any wine. He's not to use any kind of alcohol. Not given to much wine in verse number 8 is as much a prohibition against drinking alcohol as in verse number 3 where it says not given to wine. You know, sometimes I, I really tire of the kinds of excuses that Christians try to use in order to give an excuse for drinking alcohol. 
But I want to remind you what the Scripture says about this. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 4, it says, It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink. In Revelation chapter 5, it says, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Listen to verse 10. And has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign upon the earth. You know what that means? It's far worse for a Christian who's been made a king and a priest to God to drink alcohol than it is for a person who is the king of a nation, the queen, or the president. It's far worse for a Christian to do that than it would for a secular king to do it. Now, I I don't think I need to say much more about that except that it is a part of the covenant of the Brian Baptist Church that no member will drink alcohol. And if there is anyone who does that, you need to repent of that and get right with God. Number four, he should be scrupulous. Paul says, not greedy of filthy lucre. A deacon can't be greedy. That means he has to be honest with money. And, of course, that's necessary because our deacons oversee a church and school budget of over half a million dollars. And so people want to know that you're spending their money wisely. You're watching over their money. Nobody's got their finger in the till. You've got to be honest with your money. But not only that... A deacon should be honest with his own finances. And what I, I mean by there's several directions that I could go with that, but I'm just going to go in this direction. And that is a, a deacon needs to be honest with God. And that means a deacon ought to be a tither. And a tithe does not mean 5%. It doesn't mean 7%. It doesn't mean 3 or 4%. A tithe is 10%. And deacons are to be an example to members of the church. And you, as members of the church, ought to follow the example of the deacons. This is commanded in God's word. So these are some personal qualifications. A deacon has to have a desire to live live a, a clean life for Jesus Christ. Now, the problem is there are many people who have the desire, but they can't actually live out that desire. I heard this story about an old deacon that used to end his prayers in exactly the same way every time that he prayed at the Wednesday evening prayer meeting. At the end of every prayer meeting, he would always say, and Lord, clean out the cobwebs from my life. And the cobwebs, of course, are the things that had gathered in his life during the week that ought not to be there. But invariably, at every meeting, every Wednesday night meeting, he would end his prayer, and Lord, clean the cobwebs out of my life. Well, there was a young deacon there who got tired of hearing him say that same phrase over and over again. And he was really getting fed up with hearing, Lord, clean the cobwebs out of my life. And so he determined that the next time that he, that he heard that, he was going to do something about it. Well, sure enough, on this Wednesday evening, this old deacon finished praying. And he said, and Lord, clean the cobwebs out of my life. And that young deacon rose to his feet and he said, shouting almost, Lord, don't do it. Don't clean the cobwebs out of his life. Kill that spider. (laughs) See, you might have a desire to live for Christ, but you have to do more than just have the desire. You've got to follow through with that. Make the commitment to do it. Now, let me go on because we have a second group of qualifications, and this is the deacon's spiritual condition. Personal character is certainly necessary, but there are also spiritual qualifications. In verse number 9, In verse 10, Paul says, "...holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience, 
And let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Now first, in his spiritual qualifications, a deacon must be grounded in the gospel. Now, the word faith there in verse number 9 is a reference to the gospel. I related this story to you once before when I was preaching on deacons, that when I was chosen uh, as a deacon, and before I was ordained to a deacon's office, I was handed a copy of the 1833 New Hampshire Confession of Faith. And I was expected to know the New Hampshire Confession of Faith and be able to explain it. Now, the New Hampshire Confession is the same confession which is the basis for our church statement of faith. You ought to know it. Now, I'm not going to question you on it, but you ought to know it. You ought to... A deacon really ought to know what he believes and why he believes it. And I'll tell you this, if a deacon knows that, he's never going to run into trouble with what the pastor preaches because I preach things that only go along with our statement of faith of the church. But if I should err, then a deacon needs to know enough that I'm not speaking the truth and that I'm not going by the statement of faith that I've agreed to stand by. And so a deacon needs to know what he believes. And being a saved person and being grounded in faith doesn't just mean that you know how you got saved. It's talking about all the doctrines that go along with the Christian faith. And deacons ought to be students of that. You need to learn the statement of faith. Number two is a deacon must be tested and tried. It says, and let these also first be proved. And I hope that everyone agree with me that our deacons have shown themselves to be faithful. They've stood the test of time. They've shown that they will remain in the faith. And faithfulness and dependability are two of the greatest qualifications that a Christian can have. Be faithful to the church. Be here when the church meets. Don't call a church member and ask them where they've been because they might ask you the same question when you're not here. Number three, what's a deacon to do? He's to be clear in conscience. He must be blameless. He should be above reproach. And that's so that when accusations are made against him, that people automatically believe the best before they accept the worst. Peter said in 1 Peter 4, verse 14, If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you, On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. And once again, it doesn't matter who you are, that if you decide that you're going to live for Jesus, and especially if you decide you're going to be a leader in the church, you will have accusations made against you. You get accused just like pastors get accused. But the important thing about this is, are you guilty? And have you lived a life so that when people hear an accusation against you, that it's not your guilty until proven innocent, but you're innocent until you're proven guilty. And that's how you need to live. The Bible says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Now, there's still yet one more area of qualifications that are given in the verses. The deacon's personal character is considered, their spiritual condition of the deacon. Now, thirdly, the deacon's family connections. These are also important. Verse 11 says, even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own house as well. Let me finish very quickly. A deacon needs, first of all, to have a committed wife. I said a moment ago, we don't elect the wives of deacon. 
But the deacon's wife is a very important position, almost as important as if she had been elected. Her life is to be a shining example of Christianity. Same things that are applied to her that are applied to her husband. Now, a deacon's wife must be that kind of an example because she can either be a tremendous asset to her husband or a deacon's wife can be a terrible liability. A deacon's wife has to have the same character. She has to be grave, serious-minded. She needs to guard her tongue. Sometimes when people speak things, especially when they come from the wives of those that are leaders, those things can cause irreparable damage. And so a deacon's wife is not to be a talebearer. She's not to be a gossip. She needs to be faithful in her attendance. And I also believe that a deacon's wife ought to take up some kind of ministry in the church. We all lead by example. And that means our wives as well. Number two, a deacon must have a controlled household. It says ruling their children and their own houses well. How do you rule your family well? Well, you don't do it by being a dictator. That's not how you rule your family well. You rule your family well by earning the respect of your wife and your children. And you can tell a lot about a person, about a man, and how his wife and his children treat him. Paul makes this point very clear when he talks about pastors because he says in verse 5, For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? In other words, the way that you rule your house is an indication of your management style. And so God says if you can't rule your house, how are you ever going to rule the house of God? Strong churches are built on strong families. And so a deacon has to be a good family man and have control of his household. So these are the qualifications that God has given us. They're personal, they're spiritual, and they're familial. But I can't stop without mentioning this last thing that Paul talks about in verse number 13. He says, For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. So Scripture says that a good deacon gets a good degree. The word degree here is the word bathmos, and really this is the only time that we find this word used in the scriptures, and it's applied to a deacon. And what it says is that a deacon gets a place of higher standing. A deacon is placed into an elevated position, and that's what the office of deacon is. It's an elevated position. It's a position of honor. It's a position of honor because God has honored you in allowing you to serve. And it's a position of honor because the people have placed, again, their confidence in you. And so you ought to serve like men who've been given a place of honor. The word degree also means that you have attained a position of respectability. And so that means with God's help, with the help of the Holy Spirit, that you are to maintain your position rightly and keep that office respectable. So I thank Eric for joining this group tonight being a kind of man that we can bring into the office of deacon. I appreciate all of these men who sit here. I believe they're good men of God, great men of God. And our prayer is that in these next years that Eric will serve well in the cause of Christ and he'll be a a fine asset to the diaconate of Brian Baptist Church. When the first deacons were ordained, it tells us in Acts chapter 6, verse 6, in the last part of that verse, and when they had prayed... They laid hands on them. Part of the ceremony of ordination is the laying on of hands. Sometimes people are confused about this, and so I don't want you to be confused. 
when we lay on hands on, on these men, as we do that for Eric tonight, we're not given any special powers. I'm not, I don't have any ability and neither do these men have any ability to give Eric any kind of spiritual gifts or special powers. When he comes to kneel here, he's not kneeling in respect of me or kneeling in respect of the deacons because that's not what this is about. He's kneeling here for the laying on of hands because as we do this, we're just giving another form, another expression of our approval upon him for the office. And as we do that, We're doing the same thing that the apostles did when these first deacons were ordained in Acts chapter 6. It's a a ceremony of consecration. So this evening, we have six other ordained men in the church. We have currently five deacons who are serving. Brother Grant Evans is with us, and he's what you might call our deacon emeritus. He has been ordained, and he's going to participate with the laying on of hands. So as we do this, I ask you to observe the laying on of hands and that you pray for Brother Eric and that you ask God to make his ministry among us a very effective and useful ministry in the body of Christ. So I'd like for Brother Eric, if you would come down, if you would kneel here. We'll have a word of prayer and then we'll have the laying on of hands. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to you tonight, we... Thank you so much for this dear brother in Christ. We thank you, Lord, for his faithfulness, for proving himself worthy to take up such an honorable position. We ask you, Lord, that you might bless him as he works and labors in this church. Lord, that he would be the example that he needs to be, that you would help him to be faithful, be with his wife, be with his family. And Lord, we just thank you so much, and we're honored to serve with him. Just watch over him and watch over our church as we work together. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
I'd like Eric, if you would stand, please. And we'd like to present Eric with a certificate of ordination from the Berean Baptist Church. Would you give him a hand? I'm going to ask Brother Eric to stand right down here at the front. And before we partake of the Lord's Supper, we'd like to have everyone come by and give Brother Eric a hand of fellowship. If you do that, and then you can return to your seats and we'll observe the Lord's Supper. As you go back, if you would please, let's fill up the center section for the observance of the Supper. So we ask you to come now.